Ephesians uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. All right. Uh, welcome uh, back again to this panel. And if you were here with us last week, you'll recognize that we have switched places. Uh, last week, Pat and I were sitting in what we're referring to as the hot seats uh, because they're connected to a, a car battery in the back. Uh, yeah, that's... So... Um, what we're, gonna, what we're doing is we have been taking some time because we've been going through the book of Malachi, and the book of Malachi is about worship. But primarily the message of the book of Malachi is this, is we worship God because he is worthy, and we, we don't worship God for any of a number of other reasons we might worship God. Maybe we worship God because he's our, our cosmic good luck charm. We think if we, if we worship him, things will go our way. We worship God because it makes us feel good. Um, we worship God because we want to have a great experience. Um, uh, any worship that is focused on our own condition and our own experience sort of misses the mark to some degree because worship is God-oriented and is God-focused. And so we wanted to look at just four different areas where we can worship God uh, with our life. So last week we talked about how do we worship God with Scripture, reading Scripture and knowing uh, the Bible. And uh, we talked about what it looks like to have that habit uh, built into our life. And then we're... Uh, obedience. See, that's why I forgot which one it was, because I'm not good at obedience. Um, actually, I'm fine with obedience as long as I'm told to do things I want to do. Um, so we looked at what does it look to, like to worship God by saying no to, thing, to the things God says no to and saying yes to the things God has called us uh, to do. And, and the final two areas, at least we're going to talk about, there's a myriad of ways that we worship God each and every day. The final two areas we're going to look at is how do we worship God through prayer and, and what does it look like or what ought it to look like to worship God through music? We come together and we sing together. So I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jeff. He's going to take a few minutes and just uh, bring in some highlights from the scripture on what prayer means from the scripture. And then we're going to have a, a discussion here uh, about uh, prayer. I should also mention, if you're watching with us online, or even if you're in one of the other rooms, uh, I've got my iPad up here with my uh, text. Uh, so if you will make a comment either on Facebook Live comments 
or you can make it on the live stream comments. We have people keeping an eye on those. They'll make sure those questions are sent to us and we'll do our best to answer uh, those questions as they uh, come through. So if questions come in, uh, you're welcome to text those uh, to me or make a comment on Facebook Live or live stream. So Jeff, why don't you uh, help us out with prayer? All right, so I'll help you out with prayer. And uh, as we take a look in Ephesians chapter 6, as Greg has uh, shared before, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then uh, we have the armor of God. And then at the end, it says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so what Scripture has to say about prayer is that Paul shares with the reader how they can have access to uh, to the strong Lord and the strength of his might on this side of heaven. And I find that as really great news for us as believers. As a believer in Christ, Jesus has access to the fullness of God that you just heard in Scripture reading in regards to the armor of God. The armor of God is our imagery of a, a military uh, uh, guard that has armor on for protection. We have the fullness of God. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And in that armor, in that protection, God's at work. He is the one that is the stronghold. He is the one that is strong, and we are weak. And we have this opportunity to gather into his fullness. And that's what's really neat. So as Paul rehearses the gospel to the reader by using that military imagery, uh, it's describing God's narrative, his protection, work of Jesus Christ, and the battle plan against Satan and his lies and his tricks. That's what I love about his protection. We get truth from God. Well, our offensive uh, opportunities that we get to be part of because of that fullness is that it's described, pray at all times in the Spirit. This is great news for the believer, for in Christ Jesus. For prayer often comes from the attitude of fear or selfish gain. And I want to pause for a minute to think about that when I just said that. Sometimes when we approach prayer, it's usually with the wrong attitude. I'll just be honest with my own personal life. There are times where I'm like, I have to pray. Back to the kind of the obedience thing that you're talking about. As we worship God, there's times where we just come before God going, ugh. Or we're responding to prayer because we, we're afraid. We're afraid that God's going to zap us or something, or, or God's going to be done with us um, and remove us from his, his great plan and purpose. Um, I struggled that as a child. I remember growing up through the church, and, and prayer was always kind of a routine, it was done out of uh, kind of a, a duty in a sense, and it wasn't spiritual at all. I felt like it was just something that we had to do to be Christians and to pray so that God would listen or um, not judge me. So you can see how our attitude can shift that when we come to the fullness of God, prayer has a different attitude regardless of the flesh. But praying at all times in the Spirit is a radically different attitude. God is so committed to offering his people the fullness of a prayer life. The armor imagery shows us that God's work through Jesus Christ and salvation allows us, and this is what I love about prayer, it allows us to have access to God. So think about this for a minute. You're a sinner. Dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> You're on this side of heaven, you still struggle with the flesh, you still have sin. How amazing is it that because the result of the gospel and the fullness of God, you can stand before him, a sinner. 
and offer requests. Can't you see how that changes our attitude a little bit with prayer? Can you see how maybe it went from more of a fleshly response to, I need him to do these things, to, I get to do these things. I get to pray. I get to pray and think about others. So as we kind of answer some questions here, how do you personally put this into practice? Well, in my own life, first of all, uh, I need to be intentional because I am naturally lazy when it comes to spiritual things towards God. Yes, I'm a pastor, but I'm confessing right here that I am naturally lazy when it comes to the things of God because my flesh is in the way. There are times when I've prayed and I haven't seen God specifically carry out something in the way that to my liking. That game that we play, that God is always at work, but yet I don't see him at work. Why is this happening? Our flesh can get in the way. We are naturally lazy when it comes to drawing near to God. So I move into the idea that I can approach him with that fullness is that then there's freedom to come and pray with him in any situation. I don't know if you caught that part at the end there. It says praying at all times in the spirit. I get to do it all the time. I don't need to have a secret place. I don't always have to be on my knees. I can do it while I'm driving. I can pray while I'm talking. Isn't that wonderful? There's a freedom that we have now when we have the fullness of Christ in our lives, the fullness of God working in us. We can just be having that worship that's constantly going nonstop, and I can be thinking about others. And that's what I intentionally try to do. I think about you. I think about my family. I think about my friends. And that's how I practice that. And so what are the obstacles that I face in prayer? Again, as I said before, the people are naturally lazy when it comes to drawing near to God. There's another power at work in us. We are by nature selfish towards God. Again, back to the obedience thing. We are by nature not obedient to God, and that gets in the way. So how does the gospel empower worship and prayer? In John chapter 15 and 16, it says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit shall abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This is gospel empowerment to the greatest. Jesus chose and saved you for prayer. Can you just let that sink in for a minute? I mean, that is just amazing. He chose you. You did not choose him. He chose you. So through believing in Christ, Jesus gives us the access and the fullness of God to stand as a sinner and be able to pray and think about others. That is an amazing thing. And it's not tied to how well I pray, how good I'm at praying, or where I pray. Because one of the opportunities that we got to see when we're in Israel at the Western Wall, you see people praying, but they do it with a rhythm. And I think I'd throw up after, you know, a couple of minutes. And uh, so there's this, this idea, this imagery that they're working hard, that their flesh is working hard to pray. When we have freedom to just be in thought all the time as we pray. So that's a beautiful thing. As we draw near to God, we get to pray. We get to pray. Do I have to pray? That's the horrible attitude. The new attitude in Christ. We get to pray. We get to pray at any time. And so that's what I have to share with you guys this morning in regards to how Scripture handles prayer. Uh, thanks, Jeff. And uh, a couple of things on that that I think are important, that, that notion of being called to pray. Um, because I know a lot of people, especially when younger folks, when you get old like me, you start, well, my calling is to make it through tomorrow. 
But when we're younger, we're like, well, what's my calling? What, what is my life supposed to be about? And, it, and when we think about our Christian life, we'll think, well, what is God calling me to do? Well, you know, I don't know the last time that I heard anyone ever say, well, I think God is just really calling me to pray. You know, it's what we, there's a lot of interesting notions we might come up with. He's called me to do this, that, or the other thing. But what you're arguing here from the book of John is actually the, the one thing we know for certain that God called us to do uh, is he redeemed us in order that we might uh, pray. And that seems like such a strange thing. Uh, another way of thinking about this, I think, on that idea is that realizing how much Jesus prayed. So the Bible makes quite clear he would spend significant times on his own praying. Uh, one time his disciples couldn't cast out a demon, and he cast out the demon, and they said, you know, what's the deal? Why couldn't we do it? And he said, these kind only come out with prayer, meaning a sense of prayer in advance. Prayer had been done. And I just sort of sometimes you wonder, Jesus had, uh, the Son of God had spent all of eternity with the Father. Why didn't he get all that praying done before he came? You know, get all that done. And then when you show up, he can just hit home runs all day long. Uh, because the, he wants to demonstrate to us, he, this is something that God desires in his relationship with us, is that we would uh, seek him uh, in prayer. Prayer is the solution to, to what we're being called to do. Um, and I think that's uh, an important uh, concept there. Uh, Pat or, yeah, I go was, ahead. I was just thinking, as, as you think about the idea that we were redeemed to pray, that we've been called to pray, that's really what reconciliation is. Um, we think about being saved so that I can have this uh, nebulous relationship with God the Father who is a spirit I can't touch. And yet this privilege of communicating with, having a dialogue with God, is the whole is the whole definition of reconciliation, that I can be heard by holy God and I can hear from him. And that's prayer all the time with every thought. Well, and I think Jesus' attitude, too, of prayer <clears throat> is so different, especially from our Western, even just our colloquialisms betray how we think about prayer. Um, what do you call a long bomb 60-yard pass to the end zone with three seconds left on the game with a 2% chance of catching it? A Hail Mary. <laughs> Throwing up a prayer. It's, it's like we, we define prayer as once we get to a point where we can't handle our business, that's when we need God to step in and handle our business. And, and I've even heard, I've heard pastors say, well, all we can do now is pray. Like, you know, you get the, the stage four cancer diagnosis. All we can do now is pray, as if modern medicine was better than prayer up to the point where it's no longer effective, and now prayer is the last straw. And it's just, it, it's so embedded in our culture of who we are that this is a, um, you know, a, the, the secondary parachute. It's the, the last-ditch effort to save yourself um, and, and have the outcomes that you would prefer as well. You're not even praying for God's will. You're, you're praying for your will because you couldn't figure out a way to get your will done. And so now I'm going to hope that a higher power will make my will done. And Jesus's prayer is, Lord, your will be done, not mine, submitting myself, which ends up being a moment by moment process. I would also say too that uh, I didn't get a chance to explain it too much, but it says in my name, when you pray in my name, there is power in the name of Jesus. And uh, the other part that Paul was saying, supplication, when you look at that word, uh, supplication means request for others. 
And it fits in this worship because when we start thinking about others instead of myself, then that attitude changes. I start worshiping the Lord and thinking about his uh, gospel, rehearsing that to myself over and over when we're praying for each other. Because it's so easy for us to get wrapped around the axle and start praying for poor me, why me, what about me, you know, <laughs> Lord, help me. Yeah, he's, he's going to do that, but, but keep in mind, too, that we get the opportunity to pray for others as well. I'm glad you brought up that, that point of praying for others because I'm really struck in uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians that he prefaced in the early chapters his prayer for the, for the believers, not just for the recipients of the letter in the first century, but ultimately for us, how he recorded his request that he had made to God for our benefit so that we would know and understand the fullness of the gospel. And then he ends the letter by asking believers to pray for him. I think that I am very limited in my definition of what prayer is when I just think about it in relationship, Seth, to what I need or where I'm going or whatever that agenda is. But this privilege of prayer is not just a communication between me and God, but it's a communication between us and God. And that us in the equation can't be separated from the gospel message. Uh, a couple of I think obstacles to prayer that we talk about, and I can think of two significant obstacles to prayer. Uh, number one, uh, obstacle to prayer is sin. And so the question becomes sort of theologically, uh, how soon after sinning can I pray and have God hear it? Uh, because, and, and nobody would ever ask that question uh, because, number one, we generally don't admit to sin. Uh, and then secondly, we all know when asking that it's ridiculous. Well, of course God hears this. But then if we sort of get after it a little bit in our hearts, we, in the back of our minds, we think, well, God can't hear me because I just did that like 10 minutes ago. You know, so obviously I better ask for some really, now's the time to be praying for other people. Uh, really unselfish kind of things. But I'm not going to ask for anything for myself because I just, I just blew it. Now, uh, the gospel says no. How long after uh, sin occurred uh, can I pray? And the answer is uh, right away. Uh, so think about how God knows us. Does God know when we're going to sin? So actually we should ask this question. How long before a sin should I pray? Because he knows it's coming. <laughs> He's like, oh, you're asking for that. You know what you're going to do in like five minutes? You're going to ask for this, and then you're going to do that? I don't think so. The gospel has got to inform our prayer life where we say, no, as a matter of fact, the blood of Christ is enough. I can pray having sinned because Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father. It's a lie from the devil that I've got to make it a day, a week, a month, or a year, whatever, of not doing something bad for God to hear me. That's a lie. The fact is, he hears us. Pat, were you going to share on that? I was just going to share, that's exactly how Jesus taught us to pray in, in Matthew. Lead us not into temptation, right. but deliver us from evil, which is exactly that, pray in advance. Good. Uh, the other obstacle, and were you going to share something on that? Okay. Uh, the other obstacle, for me anyway, is uh, staying awake. Uh, and this is, thankfully, I'm in good company, Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are praying with the Son of God himself prior to the crucifixion. They can't stay awake. So I'm going to give myself some grace there. But, but really what you got to think about is why in the world were you taught to pray with your eyes closed and your hands folded? I, two things I rarely, if ever do nowadays, is pray with my eyes closed. That's a recipe for thinking about other things and going to sleep. And I rarely fold my hands. The two times that I find, for me, most uh, effective times to pray is in the car, 
just turn the radio off. Uh, just pray, just turn the radio off. Um, you turn the radio on after a minute, but that's a great time to pray. It's uninterrupted time if you're driving by yourself and just, you're, you're going to daydream while you're driving anyway. Uh, and so you may as well may, maybe pray. I know some people will even put little prayer cards on their a dashboard. I drive a scooter, so that won't work. Uh, they would all <laughs> fly away. Uh, the other time to pray uh, is uh, when you're working out. I, I get up and run most mornings, and uh, and I finally, at a certain point, I said, man, I'm wasting this time. I have earbuds in. I pulled the earbuds out, and now that's a time uh, to pray. It's hard to fall asleep running. And somebody said, well, I don't exercise. Two birds with one stone here in the new year. I was going to say, yeah. praying yeah. is hard enough. Now you need one to exercise, <laughs> too? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, anyway, for many people who have activities you're already doing on your own, whatever it might be, uh, all you got to do is say, well, I can pray while I'm doing that. You don't have to talk out loud. You can pray in your head. You can pray in your heart. God can hear you. You don't have to close the uh, door. Uh, now, if you enjoy that kind of prayer, that's fine. For me, that's just nap time. Uh, I've got to be active and moving uh, or, or I'm, I'm out like a light. Okay, who else uh, wanted to share? Did I uh, use up all the time? No, I was going to say um, uh, walks are really good. If you're a walker, you like to go out and walk. Um, that gets you alert, too. Uh, I do often prayer walks, and it's uh, refreshing because... Then you get an opportunity to pray for where you're walking. Uh, there are times where I'll do it through the neighborhood here and just be praying for uh, our neighbors here as well. And I think it's important <clears throat> to have um, both and. If you talk about a, a routine that, where you get to be alone and there is silence and solitude. There, I don't want to downplay <clears throat> the, the war room or the, <laughs> the private closet that's your own, the, the drive out into the forest and, and total solitude. There's something amazing about that. Jesus himself goes into solitude often, but I refuse to believe that Jesus only prayed when he was off alone in solitude. Um, I mean, you see it in scripture, he doesn't. And, and so being able to build a rhythm, even just break the own, break your assumptions of when and when I, when I can and when I can't pray, because I just have these rhythms. Oh, I can't pray now. I'm doing this. I'm busy. This is too secular or that, you know, whatever it is. And, and remembering, no, no, the Lord is always accessible right here ever before me um and and just start experimenting in those because i've found that i've gotten into rhythms where i pray a lot when i have a lot of free time and and when i have a day i can go into the woods or whatever and and when those rhythms when the kids come when work gets crazy what have you i lose that rhythm of prayer because it's more dependent on my circumstances than my relationship with God. And then I realized that I am simply being an opportunistic prayer um, and not being disciplined about it. I think another obstacle, and maybe this is more uh, female than male, so you guys don't have to be in my, my pocket on this one, but um, I have a tendency in my relationships when I don't feel like anybody's talking back to me, that I shall just kind of go inside my shell um, you know, I'm, I say something very deep and profound and Ron doesn't respond. And so then I don't want to talk to him anymore. And Happy 50, that's Ron. just an insight. Is that the secret to life <laughs> right there? Is that how you make 50 years? <laughs> but, but I think we do that with God too. We feel like we're praying and, and it's not going anywhere. And so we stop praying. And so prayer is as much an exercise in faith as it is anything else that God is listening whether I think he is, or I feel like he is, or I see evidence of it. Prayer is walking by faith, not by sight or 
hearing. I was trying to make that into a, like a rhyme to cite, and it didn't. Um, so it, it's, it's, sometimes it seems like it's very one-sided until I recognize that God is as much honored by my not hearing from him and still praying as those times when he miraculously answers. Adam uh, Ingram uh, texted, and I think it's a good observation, he phrases a question. He says, uh, so God wants to be a part of what we're doing. And I think that's a really great way of saying it. It's not just, I'm going to go do an activity. I'm going to start it with prayer to kind of give the, the Jesus fairy dust onto what I'm doing. The idea is remembering back to the Garden of Eden, what was God doing? He was walking in the garden of the cool, in the cool of the day because he enjoyed walking in the garden in the cool of the day, in particular with his people. And, and so prayer is one of those ways that we can... Um, and little subtle things that, that are prayer is uh, when you're out and about, like you say, you take a hike and just something even in your heart, God, this is nice. Uh, you, you may pray uh, at the beginning of a meal, but if you've ordered a really good meal halfway through, you might go, God, you made meat tasty. This was a good cow. Uh, thank you, Lord, that he was grass-fed, corn-finished, whatever it might be. Um, and on the shelf. And, on the, yeah, and it's available, right? Um, and I think having just a, a, a habit of just including God in our, in our stuff, you say, well, that seems kind of weird. Yeah, well, we claim our citizenship is heaven, and, and we also know our Savior is coming back on a white horse in the sky. So there are weirder things we believe than that we can engage with God in our, in our regular uh, activities. So uh, I really appreciate that, Adam. Good observation. God wants to be a part uh, of what we're doing. But I think the, uh, the regular activity that we're always wrestling with is our flesh. Because I know you're talking about how we uh, sin before prayer and then sin after, but we're, we're, we sin during prayer as well. Because there are times where I've caught myself praying in the wrong attitude towards somebody, you know. So you're like, strike that person down. No, what am I doing? You know, Lord, rescue me. Yeah, that's good. Okay, a couple of other tips, and then we're going to move on to Seth. Um, if you're not sure what to pray, the Psalms are great for prayers. Um, you know, reading Psalms on a regular basis, if you have a regular Bible reading, I think we mentioned this last week, but including the Psalms, it's amazing if you read the Psalms each day, and you can read most Psalms in about a, two or three minutes. It's amazing how many times that Psalm is going to fit what's going on in your life. And there you don't even have to come up with the words. You can just read the Psalm as a prayer. And that is, is so helpful because sometimes, like Jeff says, I'm really upset with this person, but it doesn't feel very spiritual to say, God, smite them. But, but actually, the Psalms have a lot of those kinds of prayers. God, uh, I'm not sure who's right here. Would you judge between me and them? May your justice be done and you see the plight of my situation. So the Psalms uh, are really, uh, really good there. And the other thing, I would say this. If you, want, you would really like to pray and you're not good at it, then start bad. Uh, and just pray for the stuff you want. You say, if the option is no praying, or you just praying for stuff you want, go for it. Just pray that God will give you the stuff you want. Because I trust His Holy Spirit over time is going to help you learn to engage with Him, not only on the things that you desire, but on things for others, and that He might work in your heart. So uh, let's bring the prayer down on the lower shelf. We can all do it. And, uh, um, and God looks forward to it. Um, all right. Seth, why don't you give an intro uh, into what it means to worship God uh, in music and song? Yeah, so um, music and singing is really interesting as far as all of these categories goes because it is 
in my mind, one of the most natural um, parts of, of us as humans in our DNA, um, but it's also one of the most prone to um, misuse, misinterpretation, misunderstanding, um, partially because I think it comes so naturally to our flesh and who we were created to be. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I was looking for a bunch of scriptures uh, that would give the reason for singing or for, or for worshiping with music, and every single one that I could find uh, was because of something the Lord has done or an attribute. It doesn't say sing because the Lord likes it um, or because you don't want to. I mean, what do people do? They sing in the shower. There's, there's a thousand radio stations. Music is just a part of who we are. It's a natural way to express our adoration, our emotion. Um, and so the Bible really just goes, you are people, you are going to sing. Here is how you do this in a way that honors the Lord um, and, and mirrors the gospel. And the passage that I'm looking at is just one verse. It's Colossians 3.16, and a very similar passage is also in Ephesians. Um, but it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And there's, there's four kind of key little things I want to bring out of this passage <clears throat> in the four different sections. The first is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when we sing scripture, we are literally hiding God's word in our hearts and our minds. We are created to remember music so much more um, than other things. You can't remember what you had for dinner last night, but you can remember that 70s song that played on the radio incessantly when you were in high school. And you still remember every single word. It's just, so we're designed to store musical data in our mind and attach lyrics to it. And, and it's a way for us to um, pass on traditions. It's, it's most of the time in oral traditions throughout the thousands of years of human history, most of the time those oral traditions were passed on through songs that you taught to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren. Um, and so that's why it's so incredibly important, the lyrics that we sing in church. Um, every time I add a new song, I read through the lyrics without the music to just get a sense of what is the song saying? Not, not what is it doing to my emotions, but what is the song actually saying? Is there substance here? Can I test it against scripture and find this to be accurate to scripture? Now, it doesn't mean you have to sing verbatim verses only, um, but does it stand up to the word? Um, and the second thing in the next part of the verse is teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Um, that seems a little weird that that's in there because at least in Western culture, we've made singing such an, such an individualistic thing. You crank up the radio in your car and you sing out loud by yourself, but if anyone else sees you, you stop singing. And so it's this, this individual thing. Um, but Colossians is saying that, that music promotes unity in the church. There's a, a common roadmap for people to be able to declare the gospel and the words of Scripture together. Uh, you know how hard it is when we ever try to read Scripture out loud together and nobody's starting at the same time and some people say one word longer than another word or say a syllable differently. Um, but when you have music as a roadmap, there's this beautiful unison of the body of Christ being one. And that's why it's so important that we don't have speakers that are blasting everybody out to the point where you can't hear each other sing. Because it's not about the music. It's about those around you who are singing the same words as you and just the understanding, oh, we are in this together. I am not alone. I am in a community of believers. We are all the body of Christ, and I need these people around me. It's not just me and Jesus in my headphones. We, 
if we did that, we could get a whole lot better sound if all you just wore headphones in here than if we had these speakers hanging off the ceiling. Um, and it's also us being in unity with God, with the triune God himself. In Zephaniah 3.17, we have God singing over his people. In Matthew 26.30, we have Jesus singing a hymn with his disciples. Uh, and then in this passage and a couple other passages, we see that singing is often inspired by and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, and so we are quite literally and very genuinely joining with God and singing, joining with the angels in heaven that are constantly singing, holy, holy, holy. And that's a beautiful thing to, to join together with the God who created the universe through music. Um, and it's also singing encouragement to those around you who are broken. We also want to hear each other sing because I don't know about you, but there are many Sundays where I don't believe the words that are coming out of my mouth and that I see on the screen. And and I don't stop singing because I don't believe it. I keep singing until I believe it. I keep singing until it becomes real to me because I am speaking scripture over myself. And if I'm struggling to sing, I can hear someone else next to me being joyful about a song that I'm struggling to be joyful about. And it encourages me, okay, the Lord is good. And these, all these other people confirm to me that the Lord is good, that the Lord is gracious, he's faithful, whatever it is that we are singing about. Um, and, on, and being honest, we sing songs about our emotional you know, issues and our struggles. And when we're down, we don't always just sing happy songs. And that's to meet people where they're at and encourage them to the gospel and bring them to faith in Christ, knowledge in Christ, Christ remembering uh, the goodness of, of Scripture. And the third thing uh, we see is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I got, won't, don't go into a lot of this, but psalms are verbatim, Scripture, word for word, Psalm 36 and putting it to music. Um, hymns are, are anything that has a scriptural theme that can be easily tied to scripture. That's not just songs from a certain era. Death was arrested as much of a hymn as before the throne of God above. It's, it's tied to scripture. You can back it by scripture, but it's not word for word. And then spiritual songs are spontaneous. They're words that the Lord gives to you in a moment, the Holy Spirit gives to you in a moment when you're just so thankful. Whatever you're feeling, uh, think to Holy Spirit um, uttering groanings. That we can. I don't even think the song has to have words necessarily, um, but just that communion of the Holy Spirit within you, encouraging you, um, and that can happen in music. And we don't practice that a lot, especially in Baptist churches. It's a little more of a charismatic thing with spontaneous worship. Um, but I think it's something we could recapture a little bit, not in craziness, but, but being able to say, you know what, this is what the lyrics say, but this is what I'm feeling towards the Lord right now, and let's check that with Scripture and then sing it and glorify Him in that moment. Um, and we see this become a way bigger issue than I think it needs to be uh, when we look at the worship wars, especially that's been happening over the last hundred years or so. Um, and it really all comes down to preference. It's, it's veiled as an attempt to um, maintain you know, integrity of, of worship or anything like that, but the arguments are almost always preferential. And the gospel says that I have been bought with a price, and so in some sense my preference doesn't matter because I glorify God in my obedience. I, I think to uh, Paul in the Philippian jail, uh, my assumption is he probably would prefer not to be in jail. Just a guess. And yet he sang, and he probably didn't sing on key. It probably sounded terrible. <laughs> but it was a beautiful sound to the Lord in the midst of jail. He's singing out because it's obedience. It's not his preference, but it's obedience to God and glorifying him and, and remembering who's God 
and who is not. And the fourth thing is with thankfulness in your hearts. And music does stir emotions. I don't want to say we're just going to sing in one monotone key and we're never going to use synths or violins because they do stir our hearts, and that's a good thing. Now, our current culture is moving way too far into using the music as a means to take worship to the next level, which is something I see all over the place, and it drives me nuts. The music does not change the value of the worship. It may enhance an emotional response, but you're not there for an emotional response. You're there out of obedience um, because Scripture commands it. You're there because the Lord is worthy, not because it's going to necessarily do something for you. Worship is for God, not for you. But he is gracious and gives us the side benefit of music affecting our emotions and and encouraging us, and that's a good thing. Um, But again, back to the lyrics. The lyrics are, are the spiritual blinders that keep our emotions in check when we are moved by music. And so it's so critical that we have those lyrics be scriptural based. Um, that's what I've got so far. Any comments on? Yeah, I think I want to uh, key off of um, one of the concepts we talk about a lot with scripture. Scripture, the Bible is presented in a lot of different ways. We have narrative or history, uh, and we have prophecy, we have apocalyptic, we have letters, uh, epistles, um, propositional. And what we, we often say is scripture is always presenting truth, but it's presenting truth in a variety of ways. So History or narrative is presenting truth through story. Um, the, the, the epistles we love most as Westerners, they're presenting truth as propositional phrases. Just here's the truth. I'm going to line it out in a, in a logical way. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we have prophetic uh, scriptures prov- providing truth in uh, very, a lot of imagery uh, that we see. The Psalms, though, present truth emotionally. So the Psalms are communicating the truth of God in such a way. It is propositional, but it's intended to make you feel something. And I might suggest in our particular tradition or heritage as a, as, as a Baptist church, we don't run a lot of risk of emotionalism. Um, what, in fact, I think we have to be challenged to do is to say, you know what? I ought to feel something. You know, when I come to sing, the idea is not merely to repeat theological truth to a melody because if we we did that we could all just do more we could read a theology book together the idea is to to experience and understand the truth of god and the gospel in such a way that it moves me and now we all come in tired and all these other things however that that's the expectation uh ben rear uh he's over in the kids own room uh or was it fbc west our West Side campus, uh, great, great campus, uh, led over there by Matt Bohr today. So thanks, campus pastor Bohr. Um, um, he he says just by the way that uh, it's way more fun watching in the kids' own room at the video uh, screen than it is at home. So if you're not sure if you want to call in and make a reservation, you do. Uh, his, Ben's comment is this: Should we still sing out loud if we can't hold the tune? And now Ben, I think he's probably being funny. It would be my joke, but you know it's a fair question. And I think here's the thing, when the touchdown is scored for your favorite team, do you sort of hold back, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to cheer the right way. You know, I want to make sure I fit in. We don't do that because we're moved by something and we just sing. I would suggest, yes, it's to sing out. And what we're communicating to God is how we are moved by the truth of the gospel and the tune of it doesn't matter. Now, we might not invite you to be on the worship team. Uh, just throwing that out there, Ben. I, I, you know, I know you've got the, uh, but 
but but yes, we should we should be singing uh, with uh, full throated. I'm going to throw the guys under the bus uh, here a little bit. Uh, there and and I don't want to minimize uh, women on this. So, but Pat, you picked on men earlier. So, uh, it is there is something important and significant for children to see their dad singing in full throated worship. And I, you know, again, guys, I don't want to throw you under the bus. Well, I'm not good at singing. We know. Yeah, we've all stood by you. We know you're not that. But let's. That's one of the ways that guys are saying. Well, how can I lead? One of the ways is when you come to church is to sing. Well, what if I don't feel like singing? That's when you're really worshiping. That's where, okay, Lord, I'm going to gonna jump in. Okay, there's my uh, sermon. Uh, Jeff, Pat, or, or Seth, what do you got? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, in that um, attitude of, uh, like I was talking about with prayer, is we, we get to do this. We get to come together and sing and use it uh, in, in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways uh, I try to practice is during the week. I think a lot of times people think, um, that the only place in their schedule is to come here and sing. But um, I try to do that uh, often in the car, car karaoke. You know, if there's some worship music on, I'll try to sing really loud and everything. But there's something about uh, during it during the week, having, having some worship music in my playlist, not just so that I could uh, drown out all my sin, you know, and my, uh, my shame and everything, but to, uh, to, re- to rehearse all the time, to be uh, thinking about the lyrics and thinking about uh, the worship so that when I come here, and this is what I love about this, when I come here, um, if they're not singing my favorite song, I'm not all disgruntled. I come here with a, man, I get to sing with everybody. This is just awesome. Because I've taken care of all of that during the week, you know. Now I get to come in, and they're going to sing in a different arrangement. They're going to um, change the bridge a little bit and repeat the chorus. And and uh, and speaking of that, sometimes another hang-up uh, for people when it comes to uh, worshiping in an environment like this together, why is it that we repeat the words over and over and over and over and over again? Well, I struggled with that for a little while. And then later on, I discovered in, in Revelation, um, it's practice for the future. When we're in heaven, we're going to be singing it repeatedly over and over again, especially where it says, um, um, uh, where the, the elders lay down their crowns, and, and uh, now I'm drawing a bright <laughs> Worthy, worthy, worthy is the God, Lord Almighty, who, who is and was and is to come. You think good, good Did I say that right? Yeah. So just That's the song the angels were singing. Yeah. So they're singing that. But I need to do that. I went from, man, that just bugs the heck out of me, to, no, I really need to do that because my flesh needs, I need to rehearse that over and over. Yeah, and if you don't like repeating, you're going to want to tear Psalm 136 out of your Bible because it repeats, his love endures forever, it looks like 30 times. Uh, so, yeah, the scripture has a good precedent on, on repeating. Go ahead, Pat. Well, and I'm, I'm thinking about not just the repetition, but the importance of the testimony of song. Um, when you look at Psalms specifically, um, they were written, of course, to worship God, to respond to God in most, in many ways. But they were used so that as the people were traveling to and from Jerusalem, they would sing God's praises, preparing their heart for when they got to the temple to offer the sacrifice. And I think it's so important for us to understand that we don't want our emotions to inform our our thought processes, our truth, but emotions do help to solidify as you said Seth but also transform it into a a, a tangible reality that I can live it out um, not only were the were the songs used you know as they were traveling to to rehearse and to re, and to prepare their hearts 
but it was also used as a preparation to go to battle, that it was a testimony to even the enemy that this battle isn't ours, this battle belongs to my God. And build up that, that courage and that faith muscle that says, this battle is not mine, it's God's. And oh, what, a, what an amazing thing it is to be able to join together with believers and recognize we can't do this on our own, but together we can follow our Jesus who's big enough. He is the victorious warrior that sings over us because the battle's already been won. There's a great story in the Old Testament of King Jehoshaphat. And there was an army that had gathered and, and the king asked God if they should go and conquer the army. And uh, God said, yeah, go for it. In fact, uh, you're, gonna, you're, you're actually going to not have to fight them. I'm going to destroy them, but go out there. And so what King Jehoshaphat did is he put a worship team together and they led the procession of the army. They were actually the first one in the march. And they were singing some songs of victory in advance of the victory. And the way it's worded there in the Old Testament is it's clear the victory occurred during the worship. And fundamentally, the worship had something to do with that victory. There was, it's not, the victory was not passively engaged, meaning that you get a sense when you read that a historical account is had they not worshipped, the victory might have been different. Uh, it, or it might have been a, a different outcome. And I think that's a great way to think about uh, worship. Uh, it is a, we think of prayer as one of the means that we engage against the spiritual forces of evil, and if, like Ephesians 6. Worship is the same. Worship is prayer, and in many ways, it's one of the ways we engage the enemy uh, and see the Lord have victory over our hearts. And I think um, <clears throat> we underestimate worship as an evangelistic tool as well. And I don't mean just telling someone to tune into Air One. Uh, like, if you don't know what to say to somebody a moment and a song lyric comes to mind, say the song lyric. I, there is something so powerful about um, Scripture put to memory that is easily able to be recalled um, that allows us to be a witness to the lost um, Put it, you know, yeah, maybe you can't remember verbatim John 3.16 and you're stumbling on the words. Well, there's some songs out there that have those, those basic concepts in there. And singing those songs will, will prepare you uh, even to witness, um, share, the, share the glory and the goodness of God. What's really neat about the witness part is that when we come in here and worship and sing and song together, sing out loud, this is kind of the only place where they'll ever experience that. You know, if I don't know if you guys ever brought a, a non-believer into the space, uh, you got to know inside they're like, this is weird. <laughs> this is so weird. The guy I came with or the gal I came with, they're singing out loud. And there's nowhere else that's like that unless you're part of a sing-along. Doesn't he sing-along out there at work or something like that? Uh, that's the only opportunity you have to do something like that. Okay, I'm going to ask a, a question, put you on the spot, and uh, I'll yammer on a little bit to give you a chance to think about it. So folks are going to come into church and... And we now challenge them, no, jump in. The song, the, the worship is not music intro until we get to the important part, which is the message. Worship, the, the, the music element is an engagement with God. And, and so folks are saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Uh, so real practical question, what do you do uh, when the song that's being sung you don't like? What do you do? And, or the song you really like, never get sung. Uh, all of us have particular songs 
uh, that are important to us because they were sung in a particular time. We got saved at camp and they sang this song and that song has always meant something special to me. And, uh, and, and, and my church never sings that song, so they must not care about me. That's, I mean, that's how we, we tend to think about it sometimes. So what do you do? How do you, how do you engage in worship when the song being sung uh, isn't one I like? I don't like the song where I have trouble singing it. Uh, or uh, I, I'm, a song is not sung that I really uh, like, and I've emailed Seth ten times, and he uh, um, isn't giving me the answer I want. And... Um, we're not going to pick on Seth. We're starting down there. So what do you, what's your advice on that? Yeah, again, it goes back to, uh, again, that idea where uh, we're worshiping through the week with song, with music, with lyrics. That's where you get the opportunity to uh, enjoy what's very dear to you, songs that you probably grew up with, songs that were wrapped around a, uh, a time where God was just really working or something like that. But again, coming into this space, uh, especially as a pastor, um, I'm so busy working on logistics and, and running around and everything. And, uh, and then usually most of the time when it comes to the music part, um, I'm always picking out, wow, that drum is a little bit off or that vocal might be off or something like that. But to move away from that, or they might not be singing the song that I'm used to, move away to that, to that attitude of, I'm just glad I get to be here. Does that make sense? I just, I want to join in to courage. Um, you know, it says in Hebrews to spur one another onto love and good deeds, you know, to encourage you. You do that through song. So whatever is being led up here, whatever is being produced, that's the attitude that I any time I enter into this space here, I'm so glad, for example, I'm so glad you guys are here, that we get to have you guys here, that we get to sing out. So that's the movement. So it's dying to the flesh. There are a lot of songs that I would like, Seth, can you, can you play this one? But I just want to die to that. So good. So what we're saying is, I'm going to sum up real quick, then Pat, and a question is coming in, it's a really good one, um, is, you know what? Uh, technology, I can listen to my favorite song all week long. So that's, that's fair. You know what? If there's a song that really moves me, that's, that's okay. Because what I want to really do is come into here and say, I get to sing with these. And so the gain is I'm singing with others, with God enjoying it, not whether or not it's my top ten favorite. Okay, Pat? Two, two real quick things I wanted to point to. One, both of you alluded to it, and it goes to the very point of what we were talking about in obedience. I honor others above myself. And um, in, in a community, I should take joy as I look around and see how others are responding to God. Um, that, should, that should be my biggest motivation, that Christ is being not only glorified, but he's working in the midst of people sitting around me. That is the greatest privilege of being part of the body of Christ. And then secondly, um, in the verses just before and after Colossians uh, 16, 3.16 that Seth talked about, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or, do, or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. I don't see anything there for, for preference. I don't see anything there that allows me to come in and say, I want my will be done. And so in the body of Christ, we learn to be Christ-like, to let Christ be glorified in a variety of ways, in the way people pray differently than I do, they dress differently than I do, they sing songs differently than I do. Let it all be done in the name of Jesus. Good. Uh, so laying our preferences down. Now, ho hopefully we do like some of the songs. I mean, we do want to enjoy it, but laying them down. So one of the things we can do, if there's a song that's sung, and it's just one of those, okay, I can't even muscle through this one. I'm not even going to sing. You say, what do I do in that moment? And some of you are saying, never felt that way in my life. Well, good for you. 
Um, one of the things you can do is if, if there's a song and you just, it's not, it expresses emotions in a way that you're just not comfortable. It's weird. It just, or, or you can't sing the melody. There's some songs, the melody is just at a range. I'm never going to be able to sing that song. What do I, and, it makes, and it frustrates me that I can't sing because it's in a key I can't sing. Here's one of the things you can do is look around the room, assuming we have church again at some point. You know, look around the room at the 25 people in the room and find somebody that you can tell loves that song. And, 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 and look for them, and you'll see them, because they're singing, and their mouth is moving, and, all, and, and they're moving, and whatever. Find somebody who loves the song and pray for them, and just say, God, would you just make this even more joyful for them? So what, that takes your point and says, I'm going to move in this moment beyond me. I don't like this song, and I'm going to find somebody who does like it, and I'm going to engage in prayer with them. Okay, you get one word, and then I've got to ask this I question. A, I also find it's a good opportunity to practice prayer. Um, if I don't know the song or, or I'm not a fan of it or whatever, I, st- I look at the lyrics. Are the lyrics true? Yeah. The, thank you, Lord. And, and I just I spend time thanking the Lord that these lyrics on the screen are true, um, whether yeah. I am able to sing the song because of either key or because I don't like it or don't know it. Right. Okay, uh, a question has come in. Uh, Todd has texted me, so I don't know if it's from him or from somebody on the live stream, but um, what do I do with my hands? Uh, you know, what do I do with my hands? And there's a great, what's the comedian who does the hands? Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins, Google it. Uh, look for the YouTube video on, uh, you got the holding the TV, you got the wave, you got the, the touchdown, um, all kinds. Of, it's a real, it's funny. So Google that. Not now, wait till we're done. Um, <laughs> what do I do with my hands? So just real quick theology. Uh, worship in the scripture is done with your body. So what are the postures of worship in the scripture? On your face, standing up, rarely seated rarely seated, hands up, dancing, uh, singing. Uh, So all of these are postures of worship, ways in which we express the truth of God's goodness with our physical person. Eyes closed, hands up. There's doesn't have to symbolize something. Uh, Maybe people say, well, my hands are up and hands open as a way of being yielded to God. But it could also just be an expression of gratitude. It doesn't have to mean something in particular. But uh, anyway, so biblically, it's what does it mean to communicate uh, value to God with my uh, physical being? And that's what we see throughout Scripture. But uh, probably for the time, I've only got, looks like Pat has something, and then we'll just, finish with Seth. I just have to throw in Leviticus that um, one of the spe- specified sacrifices, motion was a wave offering. Mm-hmm. Just have to throw that in. Very Levitical. Yeah, but normally offering. they were waving a piece of meat. I know, or, or heaving it, and or heaving so. it. Yeah, bring your or own steak it. if you're going to do a wave offering of the of the of the thigh. Okay, is, is that where potlucks came from? That's you, where potlucks came from. You wave you offering and then you cook it. All right, Seth, you get the <laughs> Seth. You, you get the closing okay. word. The closing word on this. On this topic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there is. Um, there's so much in Scripture about. Um, in all of these disciplines, really, um, an aspect of your body influencing your mind. And, um, you know, we have a a period of of time where where Greek philosophy and thought separated the two, and there's a spiritual realm and there's a physical realm. and, and, And we think a lot of modern culture kind of tends to, especially scientifically led culture, tends to lean that way. What is spiritual is completely separate and it's, it's intangible and what is physical is, is all that we can see and observe. 
and the two don't affect each other. Um, and I remember reading a study that somebody did about your attitude and your mood, um, depending on whether you purposefully smiled all day or purposefully frowned all day. And it was amazing how much they're at, like they had, at the end of the day, the people who smiled intentionally all day were happier, and the people who frowned all day intentionally were, were more frustrated and angry. But their day went exactly the same. There was no reason for it, for that emotion beyond what their face was communicating and what their body was doing. And um, we just, there is a, a tie between our body and our mind and our spirit um, that we can't escape until <laughs> Christ comes and we get a new body. Um, and so a lot of it is, most of the time when I raise my hands in worship, it's not because I'm feeling it, it's because scripture commands us to lift your hands, and I'm realizing that I am struggling to worship and I need to be obedient. And so we have this notion that the ones who are raising their hands are the ones who are really worshiping. My guess, biblically, is the ones who are raising their hands are the ones that are having the hardest time worshiping and they're needing to do something to get their mind right. When I'm up here and I, if I have a chance to not strum and I raise my hand, don't think it's because I'm being super spiritual. I'm probably actually struggling and I need to tell my body to worship, um, obey scripture, lift my hands. Um, I don't have a huge scriptural defense for why scripture commands us to do it. It just does. Mm -hmm. And so I obey. And, and, and there is something about that act of obedience um, that softens my heart and, and softens my will to the Lord, and um, I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but I've experienced it, and, and, and it, it does work, and it's hard. You raise your hands and you go, why the heck am I doing this? My arms are getting tired. My fingers are going numb. This isn't doing anything. Keep doing it, and you'll start to see a change. It just, I, the Lord is faithful. I don't know what to say yeah. beyond that. Good. All right, um, we're going gonna to wrap it up, and um, I know Seth and the worship team, why don't you guys uh, get ready to close us uh, in the last song. So a couple of things on worship. We talked about worship in Scripture, worship through obedience. I remember this time, worship in song and, um, and worship in prayer. But there's so much more to it. In fact, I might summarize it uh, this way. Worship is this, is whatever I am doing how do I engage with the Lord on it? So it's a fair question to say, what does it look like to glorify God as a husband or as a wife? What does it look like to glorify God as a student? What does it look like to glorify God as a, an employee or an employer? What does it look like to glorify God as a person driving down the road? And the idea here is to look at, at even what we would often refer to as the mundane things of life, and each of those things can be an act of worship. And you say, how can I worship God preparing dinner? Well, it actually can be if we're willing to say, well, God, what does it look like to engage with you, uh, to seek to please you as I, as I prepare a meal? And, and that's exactly what the, the Bible teaches us is a privilege of being able to follow him. We don't have to do some high and grand and mighty things to worship. The everyday stuff of life uh, can be uh, worship. So we're thankful that you uh, uh, engage with us on this panel discussion. Uh, next week, we're going to jump back into the book of Malachi. We've got two weeks left in the book of Malachi, and then we're going to spend the summer looking at the parables of Jesus. So you can be uh, looking forward to that as we go through the summer months. We're going to be looking at uh, the parables of Jesus.